0: Hello and welcome to the Oxygen Addict Triathlon Podcast. We're brought to you every week by our sponsors PrecisionHydration.com. You can personalize your hydration strategy today with electrolytes in different strengths that match how you sweat. You can get 15% off your first order with the code OXYGENADDICT15. We're also brought to you by Athletic Greens. Athletic Greens Ultimate Daily is an all-in-one daily supplement with 75 vitamins, minerals, antioxidants and digestive enzymes. Listeners can get 20 free travel packs worth over £60 with your first purchase. You can just go to athleticgreens.com forward slash oxygen addict. All right guys and girls welcome to the show. How are you all doing today? We are living in strange times aren't we? It's been it's been an incredibly bonkers few days recording this very late on Tuesday night to get this out for you Wednesday morning. Um, I'm going to be honest with you I'm completely shelled. I've had my first day of homeschooling my eight-year-old today and We've had uh, an awesome day, but I feel very much like the NQT who arrives at school and puts all their energy into the first day. And you just know that they're going to be absolutely wrecked by the end of the first week. So we've been playing football. We've been, we did a bit of maths, a bit of English. We learned about magnets. We went around down to the local, there's a pond behind the house and we did a little bit of artwork and drawing and, um, I got to about five o'clock and I was ready to fall asleep on the sofa. It was like being a teacher again. Um, and then I managed to get a little bit of help and managed to jump on Zwift for an hour. Um, did the, the Oxygen Addict podcast Swift Power Hour, which was fantastic. We had, I think, very close to 130 people on tonight. And I've got to be honest, I didn't feel much like doing it before we got started. But as soon as we got rolling, I was I was really glad that I'd done it. It felt really good to have... commitment that i'd made to have to be there and and get on with it and get it done because the minute i started pedalling, i immediately felt better for it and and it was great to do that we had a bit of a laugh with people over messaging as we were doing it some of us had a discord group set up if you've not used discord it's well worth checking out actually for you can either do text chat or voice chat um it's a little bit like cb radio actually over over your phone and we can give each other a bit of abuse and a bit of encouragement in equal measure as we go along so yeah it was really good fun loads of names on there that i knew from the team and from the podcast listeners loads of names equally that i didn't know we had over 20 different countries on there as well represented as well as from great britain we had let's see where do we have america canada mexico switzerland belgium france spain luxembourg japan korea so i can only assume you guys have heard about this through the podcast so it's fantastic to get you on the ride there's lots of good bands going backwards and forwards and you know from a purely selfish point of view it was great for me to have a commitment i had to keep to actually get on there and and actually get on and do it so yeah it was really really good for that for that purpose and i hope the people who took part in it found the same thing as well so we dialed back our ride today usually would have been hitting the ftp sessions but we were hitting intervals at 8% and i've got to say it's a it's a nice little number to be hitting actually 80 percent of ftp i've always found that i can't i can't substantially really tell the difference between hitting full on 100% and those 90% sweet spot efforts they they feel very very similar to me um However dropping it back another 10% meant that I still knew that I was working but it was much more manageable and I've got to say it was a it was a really good ride to do on one of those nights when I wasn't 100% focused and really wanting to get on there and get it done so so yeah that was really good Um and I've put the recording of this show back as far as I could, really, partly, you know, simply due to not having the time to do it till late at night. But also, things have been moving so fast and changing so fast, almost on an hourly basis, you know, not just in society but in the triathlon world as well. That I felt as though if I had anything recorded in the cannon ready to go early. Who knew where we would be? And so it has proved. You know, we've had the the message from Prime Minister Johnson here in the UK to say to us. We're now to stay in our houses unless unless it's absolutely unavoidable, which is a massive psychological shock to the system, isn't it? Um, and so I think everybody's busy dealing with that and coming to terms with that. And people's thoughts are maybe moving away from triathlon a little bit as they're just coming to terms with working out what that means for our everyday lives. Now, that being said, in the triathlon world, we've had notification from British triathlon that all events are suspended until at least the end of June currently. Um, still no official word from Man. I know that we've had some good communications from from Outlaw in the UK saying what their plans are. And I've got to say hats off to, to them. And there were some other organizers as well that I'll talk about, but the Outlaw guys in particular, I think, have been really honest in putting out a, a really well-worded statement that said, "Look, it doesn't look like these events are going to go ahead." Specifically, at the time they were talking about half Nottingham, half Bowwood, and now it's going to be extended, obviously, to include half Nottingham um, Holcomb as well. Sorry, my mind went blank there for a minute, but they were saying, "Look, there's, there's things we've got to work out. We don't want to keep your money." We're gonna find out a way to do the right thing. We've talked with Active. They don't think it's right that if you've, you know, signed up to a payment plan that the next payment gets taken. But currently there isn't a way around it and we're trying to work it out. And so I think that form of honest communication is super important. Like I said, I know a lot of my athletes who are racing some of the 70.3s in the UK, certainly as I as I go to record right now, that might have changed by lunchtime tomorrow. Who knows? there 's not been as much forthcoming from them i 'm um, also going to give a shout out to you'll remember a, a couple of years ago now I did a, an ultra organized by a chap called wayne drinkwater who 's the the guy behind u k ultras or GB ultras um, and I saw i don 't know him very well, but I met him at the race, and he seemed like a lovely chap and there was a Facebook post on with him disinfecting by hand one of his race marquees and he's donating all of his stuff to the NHS effort. You know, T-shirts, medical supplies, generators, the use of his marquee, which I just think is fantastic. So there's really amazing things going on at a time when it would be easy to be pretty down and pretty depressed. And you know on the subject of that, this is completely outside the realms of triathlon. But I think a lot of our listeners are the kind of people who see a little bit further than just the end of their aero bars here where i live in a little village in cheshire called Lim, one of the local ladies set up a facebook group and said i think we should we should try and do something to make sure that everybody in the village is looked after and so they've nominated um they've got volunteers and they've got what at least one volunteer on every street that's gone round and put a leaflet through everybody's door that just says hello, my name is Rob. Here's my phone number. If you need anything, give us a ring. If you need medicine, if you need food, if you need someone to chat to, give us a ring. And if I can't do it, someone will sort it. And within a matter of two days here in this village, I think there's over 260 volunteers have volunteered for one road each. And I don't know whether, you know, listeners, whether you're finding this as well, but people rang me, people texted me just to say, I don't know you, but thanks very much for doing this. This is brilliant. I've been talking to people in the street. I've lived in this house now for close to two years. I I know the neighbors on either side of me and there's people on the street who I pass on the way to school every day. Some of them, you know, their kids go to my kid's school and we don't know each other other than just to sort of smile and nod. People are stopping in the street and chatting and, and it's really opened up this conversation to say, look, let's all look after each other. So, if you've got something like that going on in your community, I would massively encourage you to get involved in it because there's a lot of people feeling lonely and vulnerable. And I think most of us are, youngish strongish fittish certainly compared to the population even if it just involves going and getting a bit of food for some some of the neighbours or giving them someone to talk to on the phone for five minutes a day we can do an awful lot of good in our societies at this time and like I said this isn't about triathlon but there's a few more important things going on right now than what colour lycra suits we all run around in aren't there alright now back on the subject of triathlon a couple of shout outs I want to give Mentioned uh, mention to our sponsors who have you know continued sponsoring the show continue supporting you guys with discounts and with good stuff that'll help you out so first up we're going to be doing a lot of training indoors so make sure you get your electrolytes replenished I'm always banging on about precision hydration I think these guys are a fantastic company they make a great product if you're not sure what strength electrolytes you want you'll do yourself no harm getting the strongest ones there They've emailed me this week to say, like, good job with the show. Keep on turning it out every week. We recognize that's not easy. Just to let you know, we're all working from home, but we've got the supply chain in place. Tell the listeners they can keep on ordering and we'll keep on delivering. So, again, <laughs> I don't think it's a problem to stockpile electrolytes at this time. So get your orders in, stash it up, get it in your cupboards, then you're not going to be getting any cramps when you're training on the turbo or the treadmill, Okay. So that's one thing. Use the code OXYGENADIC15 for 15% off your first order with those guys. And secondly, Athletic Greens jumped on board a few weeks back and I've talked about their product a lot. I I really, really like it. It's an all-in-one daily supplement made, all from whole food sourced ingredients. There's over 75 vitamins, minerals, antioxidants and digestive enzymes. And I think if you're going to do anything to try and Give yourself a bit of an edge with your immune system at this time. If you're taking extra vitamins and stuff, this is a great all-in-one supplement. It's a a little scoop of green powder that you shake up with water. Tastes quite fruity, quite fragrant. It's not disgusting like some of of the, the green drinks that you try. I really liked it, and when I started taking it all the way back in January... I definitely felt as though I was getting a boost boost in terms of like not picking up any colds and sniffles and things like that earlier on in the year which you know I've been what's the phrase I've been, I've, I've been a person who's caught a few of those in the past and I didn't at all all through the winter this year so I'm sure if anything has helped this has been part of it. For listeners of the show, if you go to athleticgreens.com forward slash Oxygen Addict, you get 20 free travel packs worth over 60 quid with your first purchase as well. Now, they've just sent an email through just before I went on air to say they've just signed up the following athletes as part of a triathlon Ironman team. There's more details to come on this, but the following athletes are now sponsored and or slash, what do you call it, people who promote their product. So they've got Angela Nath, Ashley Gentle, Mirinda Car- Laura Phillip, Imogen Simmons, Sebi Keenley, Josh Amberger, Tim O'Donnell, and Tim Don. Alright, so these are guys and girls who know their stuff and are looking after their immune systems and looking after the digestive systems. Give it a try. It's great stuff. Okay. So that brings us to this week's interview of the week. I've had this in the can for a few weeks now, so it isn't really relevant to the situation that we find ourselves in with coronavirus and lockdown and all of that, but Dr. Andy Kirkland is a very interesting guy. He uh, works at the University of Stirling, lecturing on the sports science course up there. Um, Very, very knowledgeable PhD in sports coaching. He's got a background working for British Cycling, and he's literally the guy who wrote the book. If any of you have done any of the British Cycling coach education courses, he wrote all the coach manuals for those um, and they're really good. So I've got copies of those ones and, and I've been very impressed with how succinctly he manages to get the information down. He's also a triathlon coach. He's a coach that I helped train as part of one of the education courses. Although, frankly, I had no place whatsoever teaching Andy anything. <laughs> um he's currently coaching simone mitchell winner of ironman wales so we get a little bit of chat on there and he's just an all-around very interesting guy so i thought it'd be a great person to get on and talk about some of the fundamentals of coaching and uh yeah i think you'll get a lot from this interview so here we go this week's interview of the week is with dr andy kirkland andy kirkland welcome to the auction triathlon podcast how are you doing today my friend
1: thanks very much rob I'm good. Delighted to be here. (laughs) Good stuff. Well, listen, for listeners
0: who don't know about you and who haven't heard about your background, we'll give you a little bit of an introduction. Um, I think the easiest way into this is to describe how I met you originally. Originally, I met you as part of, you were one of the candidates on a level two triathlon coaching course a few years ago. And uh, everybody was introducing themselves about the background background. And it came to you, and all of a sudden, I was like, you've got a PhD in exercise physiology. What, what are you doing on the course that I'm tutoring? <laughs> <laughs> but one of the things I always found absolutely fascinating about you was you are you like a pure academic who's interested in learning and who's interested in people and is interested in the not just the science of coaching, but also in the... The science of people, what makes people tick and and how to get the best out of people, not necessarily through improving functional threshold power, but sometimes through just improving relationships with people. So I thought you would make a great expert witness to have on to talk about what makes excellence in coaching and what athletes can look for within their coaching relationships to really help them get the best out of themselves so listen let's kick off tell us a little bit about your background before you got involved in triathlon you you came into triathlon through the back door really didn't you through your background in cycling and working with British Cycling
1: well uh, f- sort of Rob I, I would say the backgrounds are a wee bit different I, I was uh how to describe it, a bit of an underground clubber in my youth uh, with everything that went with that, so absolutely gutted with the death of Andrew Weatherill, uh the other week, who was yeah. one of my heroes, and oh, I've spent really? a, a few amazing nights uh, with him spinning these wheels of steel. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> But with things like that, uh, there's also always consequences. And uh, I, after I came out of that world, I, I had all cycled before. I had been this fat kid who jumped on a bike uh, and ended up reasonably average, but I had the joy of going on training camps with the likes of Chris Hoy back in the day and stuff like that. Uh, but then I found myself in the underground clubbing world, Uh and after that, I thought, oh, I need to get fit again. Jumped on uh, the bike, started riding, but I can't go around a corner. So the natural thing to do when you can't go around a corner on a bike is to come to uh, triathlon. <laughs> so so that was uh, whoa, early, just before uh, probably 1995, uh, 1996, something like that and i I did a few iron men uh so longest day you remember the longest day
0: I do indeed yes i was I was one of the few people who completed the the last longest day yeah it or so not, yeah was that 2006 oh, it would have been i think the last one they ran
1: oh i i I can't remember I can't remember but it it was after uh the the longest day. And I was really proud. I had done 1029 and no one in my club believed I had done 1029. It was before the days when over a million people had done an Ironman and you were kind of some sort of legend if you actually had done one. Uh, uh, and then I came along to a, a, a training session a, a few weeks after and there was this uh, new guy who was the national coach in Scotland there, a guy called Darren Smith. Uh, so Coach Lisa Norden uh Jody Stimson, people like that so wonderful coach you know said Darren what what should uh, I do with uh, my stroke and he said something along the lines of get out the swimming pool you your rubbish yeah. <laughs> uh but from that uh, from that time I built a, a bit of a relationship with Darren I you know? said so, well I want to become a coach uh, and, and Darren's just an expert at finding people out very quickly. And he said, Tell me what you know. Uh and like many people, because I had done a few races, I thought I knew lots because I read a lot as well. Uh and he just started asking searching questions. And, and mate, you're not ready. You're not ready. Uh, how about going to university? Uh, learning the trade if, if you want to be a, a professional coach you need to learn your trade first uh, and, and that's what happened uh, I packed in my uh, boring job in a bank within about four weeks of that conversation and went and studied sports science and coaching at Manchester Met uh, so that would have been what well, in fact 2003 I did that or 2002 uh, and and that started uh, a journey into coaching. So from uh, my undergrad I went in to do uh, a PhD in exercise physiology, so lots of uh, lab work. Following that I joined the Scottish Institute of Sport as a sports physiologist and worked across a number of programs from cycling to rugby to curling working with uh, developmental athletes through to those who were targeting Olympic podium, So that gave me uh, very rich experiences of multiple sports, not, not just triathlon. And from there, I moved to British Cycling and worked in coach education and development for six or seven years, which... It really started off uh, when we were in the pits of the velodrome in Manchester. So we had this little uh, broom cupboard uh, and actually I remember on my first day uh uh, or the first day cycling, in, which would have been my second day. Uh, I, and I went for a shower, and I'm standing there uh, naked with Chris Boardman standing next to me, speaking away to Chris Boardman, <laughs> which is quite an experience. It's kind of, ah, oh. <laughs> don't stand there with your wide, uh, mouth wide open staring at Chris Boardman because we're <laughs> both naked. <laughs> uh so so that was some journey going uh, with British cycling from a, us working in a broom cupboard to being a, a, a multi-million pound industry and one of the most successful governing bodies in the history of sport, in fact. Uh, but also uh, not having a front row uh, seat of everything that went on, but a, a pretty good insight into sport at every level from how policy at government uh, affects what happens at the coalface through to how uh, coaches interact with their athletes at the very highest level of the sport, uh, develop friendships with some wonderful people, academy coaches through to Heiko Salsvedel, who uh, worked with Bradley Wiggins and others over the years uh, so becoming pretty close to people like that and, and getting an insight into how their minds work uh, but through uh, that that journey came to an end in which I really wanted a way uh, some of the stories about British cycling are true, I'll be careful what I say but uh, there were some challenges there some some real challenges Uh and I uh, eventually uh, managed to get back into academia. And, and now I've got a, a pretty wonderful job at the University of Stirling as a lecturer in sports coaching. And I work with primarily master's level students who are professional coaches they're they're typically full-time coaches working in football academies uh national coaches of a variety of sports uh through to uh people running community programs as well so i I would say i'm really a, a coach of the coaches really fundamental to that is that they find me credible though so i i do my own coaching uh one of the reasons you probably invited me on here is that uh coach simone mitchell who won ironman wales last year uh so yeah uh i i walk the walk and i hopefully talk the talk as well
0: yeah do you know it's interesting that that um simone recommended she said you know you really should get andy on and have him on as an interview he'd make a he'd make a fascinating subject for an interview on the podcast after the last time I talked to mm. her. Um, and it was obvious the, I don't think affection is too strong a word, that she talked about you, the effect that you and your relationship had had on her as an athlete and her athlete development. That that obviously came across talking to Simone and in the fact that sometimes you get the sense that a good athlete could be coached by anybody and they would do well and sometimes you get the sense that the relationship between coach and athlete is absolutely pivotal and fundamental to their success and that's the i've got no evidence to base this on which you will probably help you'd probably hate as an academic but that was <laughs> an, that was my feeling talking to i was um, no
1: i'm going to interrupt you rob i'm not an academic i would call myself a, a pracademic So a practical academic. Okay. so there's lots of things in the world that I operate within. Uh, uh, There's a reason that I don't use my title very often is that it sets a picture of people think, oh, he's an academic. So he'll think in this particular way or he's a sports scientist. So he'll use these methods. That's just not me. Uh, I'm a problem solver. Yeah. Uh, And I'll use evidence to solve problems. And I'm really rigorous in that approach. But traditional academic actually struggle in that world sometimes because I challenge the world a lot.
0: Well, I was going to say, I actually wrote a little quote down from your website. Your website is Kirkland Coaching. And um, what was that quote I wrote down? It was from the Dalai Lama, right, which I love immediately the fact that your headline quotes from the Dalai Lama says, know the rules well, so you can break them effectively. A balance between practical experience and formal qualifications has helped me reach the stage where I know the rules and I know when to stick to them and also when to try to innovate by breaking them effectively. And that's the thing that always stuck out about me from working with you those years ago was that. You you did sort of book the trend of exactly that. You were the opposite of what I expected you to be because I'd formed a preconceived notion of of an academic doing things by the book. So I know some of the things you've told me off the record about the way you've coached people does completely go against what I expected. The fact that, you know, you're not necessarily a person who tests athletes in a laboratory setting in scientific ways, but uses much more intuitive means to, to try and get the best out of them which i find really fascinating from someone who you know spent a lot of years learning how to do science and then Mm -hmm. ignore science when it suits them i think that's great
1: well that that's really important and it part of what i do as well i I write for uh my professional body it's um, so we've got a Little professional journal, and, and I, I'm writing and challenging the status quo in the sports science world. Uh, and part of the reason for that is that I've spent uh, a lot of time in a laboratory environment. So I've performed uh, more VO2 max tests than I could shake a stick at, uh, I've performed more lactate uh, profile tests than goodness knows what and I've gone into a high-performance environment and used those tools too. But if I'm honest with myself, uh, could I say I have really made a difference by using these methods to someone's performance? Has it changed the way they've trained? Has it made how they train more effective? And hand on heart, I can't honestly say that I've been able to make a, a difference with those uh, tools. Now, again, I've got to be careful with uh, client confidentiality, but uh, but I'm sure uh, Dave Dave Clamp won't mind. So, someone from your part of the world did a bit of work with uh, Deca Dave. Yeah, Deca Dave, who's a remarkable uh, guy. And he was actually the last person I, I, I took to a lab. So took him to Loughborough to work with the uh, guys at uh, GSSI. Uh, if I'm honest, though, I, I took uh, Dave there to make him feel special, to make him believe that he was getting the best support the, the world had available and took him to see two of the best physiologists in in the world. Uh, to make him feel important. Uh, Dave, if you're listening, I didn't actually spend too much time reading the report afterwards. It it was because there was another purpose of using that environment and it was to actually demonstrate that... uh, you are important, and it's given that belief that you are important and have a right to be on that stage to perform with other people so 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 that's the last time I actually had someone in a laboratory environment That's interesting
0: so it seems to me that you you really use the sort of the psychological the psychological element of coaching much more these days than the physiological elements it's almost as though The physiological element is a given, and you can make changes to an athlete's physiology with various applications of training stress, if you like. But it seems to me that you're saying that the psychology of the athlete is just as, if not more important to their performance, than just the training that they do. It's almost the belief in the training that they do
1: is as Mm. important as the training that they do. Uh, This is where I'm going to get a little bit academic on you and use some big words. So I I use a biopsychosocial framework uh, to understand performance. So biological come physiological. So you've got an engine, uh, we've got behavioral aspect, and we've got the social aspect. So the environment people train, who they interact with, and so on. They are not separate. So if we brought that back to, if I was having a a chat with uh, Plato rather than, uh, Rob Wilby, for example we would still be talking about the same thing how the the body, mind and soul or spirit interact with each other Plato's probably talked about these things uh, and they're not separate they're just not separate they interact in a co- complex way so we can't separate the physiology from the psychology from the environment in which they occur uh, and that makes Coaching and training really messy and almost theoretical. So we can't assign a method or uh, a particular way of training because it's a complex world that we work in. And I think the skill of really good coaches is understanding or appreciating those interactions with the, the science side uh, I don't necessarily, well, I, I, I've i written the book on training with power for uh, British cycling, delivered courses and stuff on that. But the, what's really important is the fundamental understanding of the physiology that's going on behind that. The, the recognition that much of our understanding of that physiology comes from a laboratory environment in which the force application patterns on the pedals are different. Then we've got the oxygen uptake kinetic response, that's getting all geeky, which (laughs) underpins aerobic and anaerobic metabolism. Now, what that tells us is, if we look at, the, say, uh, riding any bike course, you're up and down hills, you've got the wind, everything like that, so you're never at a steady state. But a lot of the knowledge we've got about training comes from that laboratory environment. So what I, I say out in the real world, you can't separate uh, aerobic training from anaerobic training. The, both include uh, components of each so that uh, I, I'm not too worried about having a, a slightly messy training program, which hasn't it's you'll never catch me on pool deck saying this is a lactate threshold session or uh saying oh right we're going to uh develop this component of uh physiological performance out in the field because that's nonsense it is the body and mind don't interact in that way uh it's a loose framework uh which Means that training can be flexible. It doesn't necessarily have to be absolutely precise because, A, the behavior, that precision, uh, and saying to an athlete, oh, you must stick to this particular power or this particular pace can be really problematic for some, especially if they're fatigued. It, it, they think, oh, I've still got to do this session. Coach wants me to stick to uh, four, 4.10 pace for a kilometre, and they're continually looking at the uh, GPS. What uh, I encourage athletes to do is not to look at their GPS, although I want to see the data from it because that's my eyes and ears. It's to listen to what their head's telling them, what their legs are telling them, yeah. how they're feeling that day. Uh, uh and i know from my own training uh if i don't look at my gps on say my run on the cycle path i can get uh my pace plus minus about 3 seconds on 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 target pace not looking at my wrist if i look at my wrist the error is much greater so my mind is actually uh, a better tool than any technology because uh it tells me uh, how I'm feeling that day. If I'm a bit fatigued, uh, if I'm working with a a female athlete and uh, it's a particular time in the menstrual cycle and they're not really feeling up to it, I want them to feel that. I want them to think about that and moderate their uh, effort in relation to that. Uh, And tools and technology uh, actually make that more difficult they present noise uh in allowing athletes to listen to their body so but i still want to see that data as a coach yeah. because it's my eyes and ears so i don't say oh don't use your power meter or don't take pace because i need to see it yeah uh, but it's a real loose loose way of coaching uh some would say unprecise but there, there's a deep philosophical underpinning behind why I work that way.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's the interplay of that cycle, psych- uh, the physiological data for you and the psychological data of the athlete. That's really interesting. So, talk to us a little bit about working with Simone. Then, obviously, she she burst onto the scene in most people's knowledge over the last year. With her, she had a great win at Outlaw, where she pretty much. I think decimated the field is a, is a strong phrase, but in this case, I think it was, she was fourth overall, wasn't she, even amongst the men? And she was just imperious that day on that course. She looked like another species running through <laughs> me. She passed by me like she had rollerblades on her feet. Um, and then obviously she went on to Ironman Wales and surprised everybody on the world stage by taking the win ahead of athletes such as Lucy. She
1: didn't didn't surprise everyone, Rob.
0: Not everybody. Yeah.
1: (laughs) There was a lot of planning behind that.
0: (laughs) So tell us how you ended up working with Simone then and and give us some insight into her training and where you think she can go.
1: Right so there's going to be one caveat here Rob so speaking to you uh about say my partner Rosemary obviously being recorded I, I I wouldn't be completely frank it's like speaking about your wife you don't tell the whole world uh about everything so uh you will primarily uh get the good bits just for just for the listeners as well so I'll present uh, th- a good picture, because uh, if warts and all come out, uh, I'll be getting it in the neck afterwards. Yeah, and she could crush you, let's be honest. Oh, she could crush me. <laughs> <laughs> you see her in the gym, it's
0: just... <laughs> she is in amazing shape, yeah.
1: Oh, yeah, that uh, that's probably one of the most vulnerable I, I've ever been. I was in our gym down in Winchester, so they've got a gym in the house. Uh, and I said, well, Simone... I'm, I'm rubbish at these things. I, I'm getting old now, so I, I, I'm injured. Can you take me through some of these exercises? And she was amazing. She was amazing, so patient and everything. Uh, but she's killing herself laughing at how crap her coach was uh, doing these <laughs> exercises. She's shaking her head but still smiling. So, so how did I uh, meet uh, Simone? It was, it's a weird one, actually. I, I was going up to uh, race Aberfeldy myself. So the 70.3, best, uh, arguably the best race in the UK. Uh, I love it. Beautiful course. So I was going up there to do that event, and I got such a considered email. It, it just came through, giving me a bit about background of someone that I had never heard of. Uh, and saying, Can we speak? And it was very uh, articulate and really considered. uh, Simone w- was looking for a coach, and she had gone to my friend, uh, Simon, so Professor Simon Jobson at Winchester University, who I know from uh, the cycling world. Uh, and he had said, Well, have have uh. A, a, a chat with Andy. So S- Simone and I got talking and, and what was amazing uh, and what made me say, I want to work with this girl is that she interviewed me. She drilled me. She said, why should I put my faith in you uh, as a coach? You've not really got that much of a track record, have you? Uh, so so why should I put my hands uh, and my faith in you? Uh and that was so refreshing. I, I I don't like when athletes ask me to coach them and then say, right, I'll give you this much money. No, I want to know about why they want me, opposed to Rob Wilby or uh, anyone else. It's why have you picked me? Why do you think I'm the right fit? And if they've not got that uh, conceptualization, it's right, either jog on or. Come back with some decent questions and interview me and find out why I'm the best fit for you. So that's that's what she did. Uh, and what well, was that four four years ago four and four and a half years ago something like that. And the first thing we did was develop uh, a four year plan. Uh, and we've basically implemented every single bit of that plan uh with so uh, on a very very rocky path along the way with some well in Simone's last chat with you she talked about our navicular injury which was really serious so just basically over the years we've developed a stronger and stronger uh relationship in in which we've gone on this uh journey which we're just really getting to the beginning of that journey, that uh, it's been a tough graft for especially Simone. It's been uh, tough for her. She's worked incredibly hard. There's been some sh- big barriers, some big setbacks along the way. Uh, and uh, the result of that journey was what the world saw in Wales last year. So the
0: performance that she put together in Wales, I called up the results earlier on because I wanted to remind myself. I think she went, she went nine hours forty-one overall, didn't she? She broke the course record mm. on a course that's generally rated as being about an hour slower than than the given fast courses out there. So pretty much a a world class performance on any on any course. Given mm. that she's very good swimmer, incredibly strong biker, and backed us up with a 3.10 marathon on that, that rolling course down in Wales. I think one of the challenges with comparing that performance with sort of the rest of the field, the, the top 10 in Kona, and I think that's the kind of standard of athlete that she is, is not very many of them have been over and raced the Wales course. So it's hard to kind of get a where do you stack up kind of feeling um Mm. and i know she's going out to race roth this year isn't she
1: yep yep so Uh,
0: she'll be be out racing roth and and pretty much that's going to be that's the who's who of both men's and women's triathlon this summer are you intrigued mm. as to how that's going to play out on race day
1: Absolutely intrigued, uh, nervous, probably feeling sick uh, about <laughs> <laughs> talking about it. Uh, not as sick as I felt on Wales, though, because there was that was that was a a, a big day. Yeah, uh, I'm absolutely intrigued, but when when it comes down to it, if uh, Simone performs in the way she knows she can perform. Uh, goes through all the processes uh, and executes our, 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 our best race then uh, that's all we can ask for I'm not just being that sit on the fence let's uh, focus on the process and stuff because the, the very best athletes in the world don't do that they're, they're both process and outcome focused so we can't get away from that we do talk about uh Results as well. We do talk about uh, other athletes, but it's not the focus. It's the process of building uh, up to be able to perform at uh, Simone's very best. So yes, I am intrigued. Uh, it would be nice to see, uh, but I- I've absolutely got every faith in in Simone's. Ability to perform at a very high level, I, I think uh, she'll, she'll demonstrate that she's exceptional at executing on the day like no one i have ever seen. She's just scary. Uh, in the run up She is scary It's kind of Difficult to engage But she's got that Sheer determination The focus At a level I, I've genu- genuinely Never uh, seen In an any athlete before Bearing in mind uh, I know Chris Hoy And others
0: <laughs> Wow really On a level like that Huh
1: Well It's different It's different Everyone's got their own Way Way of dealing with things But uh in terms of how she executes, in terms of how she focuses, in terms of her mindset, uh, she's up with there with any athlete that I've come across anywhere at any time. So uh, whether only time will tell. Uh, we, we don't know how far she can go. It's impossible to tell until we come up against the very best in the world and we'll see uh and regardless and i think this was i'm trying to remember what race it was whether it was exxon provence or chattanooga when she won uh the 70.3 worlds but uh simone said that this meant the world to her i said simone i really don't care your result of of this. I still care about you. I I want you to perform your best, but I'll still be there at the end uh, supporting you regardless of what happens. So, yes, it's nice for my ego for her to do well. It's nice for her to do really well. But those moments pass. Uh, As soon as you're over the finishing line, there'll be uh, probably... A couple of days of celebrating fun media all these types of things Uh, but then it's back to normal life where there's sometimes a really big void when that's over and it's really it almost feels empty after having that really big high Uh, so any athlete I, I work with has got to know that when that void comes because it invariably does whether you're multiple olympic champion or 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 when your local age group race you need to know that people love you that people care about you and they're watching your back regardless of the outcome uh so that that's what's important to me
0: yeah and let's go back to your time with british cycling on that that same sort of level because obviously you're very driven at british cycling by the four-year cycle of Olympics you must have seen that cycle go through I think you said you were there 11 years was it something like that
1: no, nearly seven
0: seven, seven years, years. Seven so years. so you must have seen that cycle go through a couple of times in terms of Olympic cycles with athletes building up to the this this four-year cycle kind of goal and then you know you either get there or you don't and it passes or it doesn't what do you think was one of the main one of the main strengths of the British cycling system in terms of you know, the amount of success that they had winning gold medals at the Olympics? Was a lot of that down to the coaching and the systems that they had in place there or do you feel it was achieved almost despite that?
1: Yes, <laughs> it, 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 the answer to most questions is it depends, and we talk about the Dave Brailsford, Dave Brailsford's of the world, Shane Sutton, Steve Peters, but what many people don't see are the academy coaches, people like my friend Monica Eden, who lives down near you as well. Uh, The Tim Buckles of the world who led up the academy program. Simon Watts, the mountain bike coach. What wonderful, committed uh, and driven coaches they are. So uh, if, if you look at the history of British cycling, it's people like Tim Buckle who ran the academy programme who's going into the go-ride clubs, who's uh, bringing people through that system and putting them on the on a plate. I'm talking about people like uh, Garen Thomas and others putting people like that on a plate for uh, the uh, big names to to do the rest. So, So they're really the unsung heroes for me that the general public doesn't see the actual impact these really wonderful people have. Uh, and they're still continue they're still doing a great job. Uh, one of the strengths uh, I-, I think for a period anyway was the, the balance. There was a balance between Dave Shane and Steve in that there was a number of Big egos in there, very driven people, but they balanced each other out. Uh, And when that balance was broken, oh, we kind of know the rest. Yeah. Uh, Also, uh, we're very quick to celebrate the uh, successes. And that environment works for some people some of the time for particularly uh the female athletes but there, so there is a gender component but uh for some of the guys too some didn't want evaluated by the numbers they just wanted the coach to put their arm around them and say how are you mate uh how's your day been uh for uh and again there's uh, that locker room emerita, but I, I saw one thing that I was speaking to uh an Olympic champion, in fact, and we were speaking about coffee. Uh, I I probably know more about coffee than I do about sport, Uh, (laughs) as do uh, many cyclists. So I was speaking to this guy and a particular coach came in and said, uh, basically, uh, what the has that got to do with winning Olympic medals? Uh, And I I was just dumbfounded. It was kind of, come on, mate. (sighs) It's... These guys can't go out for a beer. They'll go out to uh, a a coffee shop and hang out in a coffee shop. That's their release. That's their social side. So it's really important. So we know from the press that people like uh, Chris Hoy and others haven't got a bad word to say about the system. And probably quite rightly, because it worked for them. But those who spoke out in the press and bullying cultures and such, some of the para-athletes, in fact, some of the mountain bike guys as well, were they hard done by? Of course they were. Uh, They didn't fit into that uh, system. And where uh, we'll come back to the beginning of the story with Darren Smith. Uh, So Darren basically takes athletes or took athletes who hadn't prospered in systems who are quirky athletes who challenge or characters like me, basically that you can't put us in a box. You you can't tell us how to be as human beings because we'll not respond well to it, Uh, (laughs) uh, uh, but it will break us. It will. If you try and control us, it breaks us. If someone tries to control the way I think or tells me to work in a particular way, the beasts inside my head come out and I, I crack. So so Darren took in uh, athletes like that who are performing at a very high level but not a world-beating level uh, and helped them uh, perform above what the system would allow them to perform in. So it's recognising that people are different, they've got different needs, different requirements from a coach, Uh and we must also always be mindful uh, of the consequences for those who are not quite hitting the mark. So we talked about a particular coach earlier before we came on air uh, and their successes at a very high level. What the public doesn't hear and what you might hear, what I definitely hear, uh, and sometimes what we do is pick up the pieces of the people that have been shot out of those systems who are broken psychologically. Uh, and it's people like you and me that need to build them up again. And, uh, and that's the side of the sports world that doesn 't really get covered in the press. the consequences for those that don 't fit into a particular system and, and what it does to them it 's not pretty some of the time mm.
0: something that something that always really appealed to me working with you know i chose to work with working age groupers rather than the elite world was <laughs> i think it was largely down to that understanding of it isn't always about necessarily winning the the satisfaction i got from working with people rarely seemed to be you know with the young national champions in the school and things like that it seemed to be no matter what level they got to they had to get to the next level in order to satisfy that hunger within them that said there's got to be something else i have to reach for the next thing and now i need to win you know i win the towns I've got to win. The counties I win. The counties I need to win. The nationals I win. The nationals I've got to go to the FISet games. Mm. And the thing I really enjoy about working with age groupers is we're not dealing with winning. We're dealing with people becoming a better version of the self of themselves, and achieving things that they perhaps don't believe that they can achieve. And and the satisfaction they get from that in completing the first Ironman or even getting faster in an Ironman or a half Ironman seems to be, it's so much more human than I I got to the point where I kind of looked at it and went, would I want my eight year old son to go into the Olympic system in order to, you know, in order to go on to try and win an Olympic gold medal. And that's not where it's at for me. Mm. And I can only speak for me, but I recognise and you know, you'll have heard a lot more stories than me, but I recognise the things that are necessary in order to to win and win and win and win and win and get to that top of the very pinnacle. That's not always something that sits that well with what we might consider to be a happy, fulfilled, rounded life. And you know, as a kid who grew up I grew up very driven to try and win stuff through my own <laughs> unique challenges and mental demons. I got to the point where I've gone, do you know what? Maybe just maybe being a happy and well-rounded person is more important than that, than that gold medal.
1: I hear you, but I, I genuinely don't care at what level someone works at. Yeah. I, I, I've got a really busy life. I'm all, an academic, a lecturer, I'm doing research, I'm teaching lots of people. My, my life is busy, so I've got to prioritise my time. And, and I'm probably at that stage of m- my career uh, that I've got over the imposter syndrome. And, yeah. and when it, you were there the day I got over my imposter syndrome, would you believe? Uh, the Training Peaks uh, in, Endurance Coaching Summit. Okay. Uh, and it was actually uh, on the final thing that I found myself on the stage with Steven Sealer and Joe Freel and dark Freel and, and all these people. Uh, and then people are getting selfies with me afterwards. And it's kind of, Oh, what am I doing? The initial thing is, well, why, why have I been invited up on the stage w- with these world leaders, at what they do? Uh, 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 oh, well, I've just sat down with Joe Freeland's kind of uh, ha- had a deep and meaningful discussion about training stress score and saying, Joe, I-, I don't think you quite get it, mate. Come on. And trying to pull him up. And then it's, ah, oh, actually, uh, I'm having discussions and challenging people like that. I'm at that uh, level. So got over that imposter syndrome. But fundamentally, in my research, which is a mental health now, mental health of athletes, is based on the same thing. Uh, I, I won't talk too much about it, but it's about developing uh, healthy environments in which people prosper. Yeah. That, that can, so that they can uh, achieve their potential. Now, whether that is uh, an Olympic champion, an age grouper, or a three-year-old child, the, the factors are, are exactly the same. So I, I would say that probably one of the most valuable experiences for me as a coach was being a swimming teacher and teaching three and four-year-olds uh, how to swim. Uh, I, I, and I think many performance coaches would do pretty well to get in that environment in their, their little budgie smugglers or whatever uh, and see how uh, children in an environment that they're scared of. So it's not human uh, nature to want to put your head under the water. We're not designed to have our heads under the water or to put the face in the water. So taking young people through their first experience of putting their face in the water where they're scared means that extreme emotions, which they've not quite learned to regulate, come wow. out then you're seeing how they uh, develop skills and techniques. So seeing a three-year-old becoming a four-year-old becoming a five-year-old in a swimming pool and seeing how this the panics, the emotions, how they change and they they eventually get comfortable. And then what happens is you see a stroke going from uh, sitting on a little rubber ring to one that actually looks like swimming. And and that's absolutely no different to taking uh, an age grouper, uh, whether it's that uh, middle-aged lady who decides they want to do the sprint in an open water environment through to an age grouper that wants to get to Kona, but getting in that water in the sea for the first time, you're seeing those same emotions. The only difference is they've got ego and they try and regulate those emotions more. Uh, they try to hide them from you. So that understanding how a three or four-year-old behaves, you, you can almost see the natural tendencies of the age groupers It's This water's freezing. I'm not getting in there. <laughs> it's, I laugh because... Uh, you know, at the beginning of a race, it's, for me, it's, they're, it's 16, 17, 18 degrees and they're going, oh, it's freezing, I can't put my head in that. And you you hear all those fears at the start of the race coming out from the age groupers, panicking in that environment. And I'm thinking, well, I'll go down Portobello near Edinburgh and jump in the sea when it's four degrees. And, and that's fun. <laughs> that's fun for me. But that's taking time to regulate the emotion so that you can go in there. So, coming into a race, I've not got those fears Uh, I'm actually thinking, bring it on, I like this environment I'm not worried about uh, the cold I've not got the same emotions as uh, 90% of the field So that I can, when I'm swimming well I'm lapping off 135 per 100 or something like that Yet in really challenging swimming conditions I'm at the top Part of the field just because I like it so that uh, recognizing these emotions, behaviors and others, how they react to different environments means that you can coach them to be better in that environment. Yeah. Uh, and you don't get that from functional threshold power. Uh you get it through uh being that little worm that gets inside the head of other people and recognizing what they 're thinking what they 're feeling, what their beliefs are, what their knowledge is, where their knowledge has come from, and whether that knowledge has got basis in truth or not
0: yeah, so yeah. that 's absolutely interesting mate. um and it brings us around to what you wanted to talk about at the start of the at the start of the show, your trip to Kenya recently where you've been talking about developing systems for helping mental health will you tell us a little bit about that
1: yeah so i've just had an amazing journey so to nairobi and then up to Eldoret and eten where it's kind of this uh it's the well, promised
0: land isn't it for for distance runners
1: oh it it, it just is and it really is uh so there's the source of champions, the town of champions, the city of champions, but all, all within that county. Uh, uh, and that's a really exciting uh, project. So if you're interested in endurance sport, where where better to go to than uh, someone like somewhere like uh, Eldera or Eton? Uh, but what we also know is that uh, the 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 careers of, of Kenyan runners tend not to be that long. We're we're hearing about uh, doping. We're hearing about uh, suicide, suicide attempts. Really, really short uh, careers. But these guys are so important uh, to the social and economic development of the area. So something I just found out the other day was that athletes. Own probably about half of the uh, city of Eldoret through really? money, yeah, through through money they've brought to the area, so that it makes them very very important uh, politically, socially, and economically. So they're 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 key uh, role models in in that environment, but they're also suffering. They're not a lot of them. Whilst they can go out and run a sub two ten marathon or whatever without uh, being too much much out of puff, what's happening after that? What what happens when they come to Europe? What happens when they uh, earn a hundred thousand dollars from winning a race? Uh, how able are they to be able to deal with companies like Nike and uh, negotiate contracts? how able are they to say no to uh, uh, some doctor from Italy who's suggesting that they take this little bit of liquid uh, uh, that'll guarantee that uh, they'll run faster? So so I really want to better understand that environment uh, and uh, how we can support the wider communities around Eldoret and Eton, which is primarily a third world uh part of the country Mm. Uh, poverty like i've never seen
0: it's it's unbelievable isn't it i I was going to say i went out to to nairobi about 10 years ago and the drive from the airport will stay with me for for the rest of my life the fact that the extreme levels of poverty that people live in and yet i i was staying in one of these fancy five-star hotels and was invited to go out for a run with some of the locals who lived in, literally lived in tin shacks across the road from this five-star hotel. There must have been a hundred guys out running at five o'clock in the morning, none of which I could keep up with. Mm. And, and and you realize that the, the breadth and depth of talent out there. You know, they, they sort of brought me out and said, this, here's a guy, he's a runner from England. How fast have you done a marathon? And I very proudly told them about my 258. And they were openly trying not to laugh in my face. <laughs> yeah. One of the guys said, you know, we don't mean to be rude, but my sister's just had a fourth child and she just had to go at the, at the the local marathon and she was faster than you and she hadn't done any training. And, and so it was like the gulf between... You know that the Western tourists and, and the locals was
1: immense. It was, I was—it was really funny. So I, I, I'm doing a bit of work with uh, a chap called Paul o- Ochieng at Strathmore University over there, and I'm saying, "Well, uh Elder half marathons on when I'm uh there." So I think I think, <laughs> I, I think he'll probably, I I'll probably coming. I'll probably do it, Paul, <laughs> and he starts laughing. He's me what what do you think you'll do it in? And I said, well, uh, I was injured last year and my big toe hurts and stuff like that. So if if I'm at the top of my form, I might go 135. And he's, listen, it's 2,300 metres. You're not going to do that. Uh, and secondly, and he burst out laughing, saying everyone's going to be in their bed after having a three-course lunch by the time you finish. <laughs> And he said, "Don't bother, don't bother. you just make a fool of yourself uh but uh what what was fascinating there I was with a guy uh he was actually my driver, which was quite embarrassing to be honest uh a guy called Fatwell Kimaya uh and Fatwell was the nineteen seventy four Commonwealth games." champion at 110 meters hurdles oh, wow. and, st- and still holds uh, the uh, Kenyan record. And, and, and Fat- Fatwell is your typical, how how to describe that uh, coach that kind of does everything? So he brings up uh, young people. He goes around primary schools and spotting talent. And some of the talent he spotted is absolutely incredible. So he he kind of coaches in a a non structured uh, way that just not gone through a coach education pathway. It's not that he's not educated; he's just not done that. Uh, so spending the the day in in a car with someone like him and chatting about his experiences and talking about well, he said. Yeah, we could drill the world at uh, sprint events, uh, middle distance as well, but there's not as much money in it. So people focus on the endurance. Uh, and then we're uh, down on this field in Eton. So just down from St. Patrick's School, where Brother Combe, the famous coach, is from. Uh, and I'm watching coaching practice and that I've never seen before. The range of motion in the hips of the athletes was remarkable. Their rhythm, their poise, absolutely incredible. Going through their drills, particular drills that, well, I've seen a guy called Timo Limo do them on YouTube, but things y- you don't see down in Manchester or for different ways of doing things. Uh, it was amazing. And speaking to the coaches there and, what struck me with the coaches was how educated they were, how much rigor they went through in understanding uh, what they were doing in coaching. The plyometrics work that, well, there's 30 guys there who were all world-class doing all those plyometric exercises in a, a drilled form. Uh, and it was absolutely fascinating. Things, things I've never seen before. Uh, and then, and I've got to be uh, very careful in what I say here, I went up to Lorna Kiplegat's, uh place, which is the High Altitude Endurance Centre, and I spoke with a few people there, uh, Mzungus, white people, uh, and they, right. were ju- they were there just basically what, doing what they do in Europe, but getting the uh, ergogenic effect from being at altitude. Uh, and here's me out. Uh, mixing it with the locals, learning so much, and then we've got a bunch of Europeans doing what they do in Europe uh, that's really tightly controlled, constrained, uh, rather than thinking, well, who have we got here? We've got some of the best runners in the world, so let's get energy from each other. Uh, let's give pon- positive energy to each other. Uh oh, we're on a field covered in goats, but most people can run under 220 on that field, including the goats, because they live at altitude <laughs> too. Uh, and then there's the hill that takes you down into the Rift Valley that they'll do specific training runs up there. So is it a highly structured training in the way that we would conceptualise it? Probably not. But does the same intellectual rigour go into uh conceptualizing how these guys train of course it does so i was learning innovative practice that works and then reflecting back on what i see uh in what we would call a more developed world with greater resources and everything and seeing people constrained not able to achieve their potential because they're they're losing focus of what's really important
0: Wow it sounds like it was a it sounds like it was a fascinating trip on lots of different levels both in terms of being able to be around these you know incredible athletes but also just a shift of mindset of of what actually goes into training and I really like that you take that stuff in.
1: Mm, Well yeah and it's I don't know what the word in Swahili is but in uh, Bantu so South African they talk about is it Ubuntu. Uh, So it's like this connection between people that you're not that you're not separate from your community. You're all part of that community, Uh, uh, and this was really moving as well. So I I was having a meeting with an academic from Moi University, and we were talking about academic things like curriculum structures and research outputs because that's what academics do. Uh, uh, and then he said, Oh, I've got someone that I think uh, you might want to uh, speak to. I'll, I'll see if I can arrange it. So he picked up the phone, dialed it, and said, Oh, hello, Patrick, are you free? Was, uh, uh, I've got someone I want you to meet. And yeah, I'm here in Elder. meet you up at the the posh hotel. It was Patrick Sang, Elliot Kipchoge's coach. Uh, so, so here's wow. me sit, sitting in this posh hotel in Eldorat getting two or three hours uh, of Kipchoge's coach and chewing the fat with with this guy and and seeing the intellectual rigor and in, and what he was doing, and then how he was research informed. These sort. Right. So, Andy, you need to take an anthropological approach in your research because uh, we've got this cross generational difference in how uh, different athletes are able to cope with the challenges of the environment. So, uh, I spent time with Mike Boyd as well. Do you remember that yeah, name?
0: Yeah, I do. So, yeah, yeah.
1: So, I spent a couple of days with Mike Boyd, who was one of the early. Uh, he raced. Kenyon...
0: Yeah, he raced Ovet and Co. And, and those boys back in the day, didn't yeah. he?
1: Yeah. So, 8 and 1500. Yeah. Uh, and he won bronze in Munich in 1972. That's right, yeah. Uh, so, spending a couple of days with Mike in his house, uh, and I'm just showing me pictures of, of his mum and dad on uh, the mantelpiece. You start to get an appreciation of what makes people like Mike tick. Now, most of his family have gone on to uh, study in Ivy League universities and are really important in what they do now. Uh, And uh, his parents were subsistence farmers uh, who hadn't had an education. And and Mike uh, got that chance. He, he started an education and then he actually met a Scotsman. It all, often happens, he met a great Scotsman <laughs> <laughs> who encouraged him to run more. And before you know it, he's winning Commonwealth and Olympic medals and so on. So that. Understanding his journey and how his journey dif- differs to say Elliot Kipchoge's, which, how that how Kipchoge's journey differs to uh, athletes that are just coming through the ranks now. Uh, this is what uh, Patrick was saying to me: is that you need to understand all those perspectives. Also the different uh, tribes within Kalenjin, how the cultural differences affect how people are absolutely driven to do what they do. And he said, these drives are changing over time. So you need to gain appreciation of that. So to speak to another uh, coach, who's not an academic saying, this is how you need to perform your research and doing it with such rigor, saying, Oh, I know why you're Kipchoge's coach. And very similar uh, with uh, Bernard Uma. Uh, I spent some time with Bernard Uma, who's Timothy Chariot and Menangoy's coach, exactly the same. So what I'm actually seeing, and we're talking about coaching here, what I'm seeing is the people I met over there, uh, okay, they were exceptional, but even even coming down the path, the intellectual rigor and the understanding of, training and, and, and coaching of the Kenyan coaches w- was in some regards higher than what I see in the UK. The intellectual rigor, the, the balance, the understanding of societal influences on uh, performance were very, very uh, prominent. But their systems of developing coaches aren't really there, yet they're still at the same or a higher level than i would say we are in the uk uh, so exciting to see that yeah
0: all right man well listen that seems like a good place to wrap this up it's been uh it's been great chatting with you i've got a lot from this conversation so thank you very much for your time man
1: no, it's been a pleasure. I hope I've not wittered on too much and talked about esoteric things that the listeners don't want to hear about. So,
0: I think it'll have been very interesting for everybody, mate. And uh, I look forward to having you on again in the future when we can uh, we can hear all about Simone's races in Roth and in Kona and uh, get a bit of the inside scoop there as well, hey? Cool, cool. Cheers, mate. Cheers. Thank you. See you later. You. Bye-bye. All right so that just about brings us to the end of this week's show. Um I hope all is well with you. I hope all is well with your families. I hope all is well and you're managing to get yourselves out and get some exercise in nature. It's it's changing times at the moment and who knows. I've I've certainly had a moment today where um a facebook memory popped up for me of a few years ago two or three years ago i was up climbing the old man of coniston so that's like three years ago today i think it was and i had a real pang in my heart of my god what would it give to be able to drive to the lake district right now and go and climb a mountain one of those you don't know what you miss until you can't have it kind of things so while you're still able to get yourself out for a run outdoors Get out and enjoy running around because who knows, it might change and it might change for a while. So make the most of every moment and every opportunity that you have. I wish all the best for you and your families. And yeah, let's hope we all get ourselves through this. See if you can help somebody else out today. All right. So remember, there's links in the show notes for all of our sponsors. It's the code OxygenAddict15, precisionhydration.com. And it is athleticgreens.com forward slash oxygenaddict. You can also use the code oxygenaddict50 at thriver.co to get 50% off your first test if you want to do a home blood test. Um, and come and join us on the Oxygen Addict podcast Swift Power Hour, Tuesdays, 7.15pm UK time. You can just find it in the events list on Swift if you're a Swift'er. Uh, And if you're not, get on it. It really will add something to your day if you're stuck and stranded in your own apartment or house at the moment, okay? So there's links in the show notes for all these sponsors so you don't have to remember them. And until next week, have a great safe training and racing week, everybody. I'm Coach Rob Wilby and you've been listening to the Oxygen Addict Triathlon Podcast. See ya. (music)